Criminally Underreported Murder Mysteries is proudly supported by its patrons at patreon.com slash distantly social. I will repeat, if you'd like to support CUM, you can go to patreon.com slash distantly social. This, of course, is just a one-man operation. But, of course, with your support, I won't be doing it alone. CUM may be done by one man, but one man does not come alone. I will repeat one more time. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash distantly social. Keep cum free for everybody. Traveling across this great American land has always been a hassle for even the most organized Americans. Between luggage, flying, and car rentals, so much can go wrong. But all of it is worth seeing every inch of this beautiful country. We call America. Our forefathers would go through a hassle like our own when settling and exploring the yet unknown and virgin and west. For a few, their worries would slip right away at the Bender's Inn, but little did they know their lives would soon follow. The Bloody Benders were a family of serial killers who operated in the small town of Labette County, Kansas. During the late 1800s, they were an enigmatic family whose history is shrouded in mystery and unanswered questions. It is believed that they lured unsuspecting travelers to the inn in Osage Creek near present-day Cherryvale, where they would murder them with a hammer or a knife and then steal their belongings. Little is known about their background prior to settling down in Osage Creek but it is also suggested that John Sr., Elvira, Kay, and John Jr. may have originated from Germany or Poland, as many members of their neighbors had similar backgrounds. It has also been speculated that the Bender family may have previously lived under aliases. Due to other unsolved disappearances in nearby towns, prior to setting up shop in Old Sage Creek. John Sr. and John Jr. were the muscle of the operation. The elder John Bender was a rather commanding and authoritative. He was in his 60s when the whole operation began. And while not being as strong and as useful as his son, he was very big and very scary, and he knew his way around a hammer. The main muscle helping carry out these murders would be his son, John Bender Jr., a younger man in his mid-twenties. While being much bigger than his pa, he had all the social graces of a dumpster fire and the intelligence to match. He was a serial killer. It didn't take much intelligence to bludgeon a head, so he would repeat this process of murder like it was in applied science. Lavera and Kate would regularly distract guests while the two men would get in place to kill them. Lavera was the matriarch and thus displayed a kind and caring exterior, but underneath she was a cold psychopath. Her daughter Kate was not much better. She was cute, charming, and charismatic, which helped get lone men into the bloody bender inn. The Bloody Benders also would pit up ads for Kate's psychic healing in the Kansas paper. This is an example of one of them. 
Professor Miss Kate Bender can heal disease, cure blindness, fits, and deafness. Residents 14 miles east of Independence. On the road to Osage Mission, June 18, 1872. She was also promiscuous, an early adopter of the free love movement. It is believed that she was in a relationship in a relationship with her brother, John Bender Jr. What's the most strange thing about this family is that it's widely believed that Kate and Elvira were the only related members of the bloody Bender family, at least by blood, being mother and daughter. Everyone else were just unrelated psychopaths. Kate, Elvira, and the Johns most likely changed their names and changed them often. For the bloody benders, the blood of the covenant was thicker than the water of the womb. The two men, John Jr. and John Sr., would be the first ones to move out west to Lebec County. They would scope things out and lay the groundwork for the bloody bender in, then send for Kate and her mother, Elvira. When they were finished planning, the bloody benders had a single room building, the tall white sheets designating each room and most interestingly a hatch that led straight down to the basement in the dining room it made cleaning up after dinner quite convenient guests at the bloody bender inn always had a nasty habit of making a mess after dinner after renting a room the lovely and beautiful cape bender would enthrall the guests with fascinating conversations about the occult or the free love movement Kate was always up for a conversation while she did discuss controversial topics her cheerful and upbeat demeanor kept it far from hostile she was a young ray of sunshine a portrait of beauty she did well to hide the dark underbelly of her family's intentions Ma Bender would stand in the kitchen, preparing a meal good enough to die for. I guess, in a way, it could be considered an early form of soul food, since the person eating it wouldn't be long for this world. She played a mother rather brilliantly, having a smile radiating from the kitchen. She would come out joyously with a bountiful meal, too wonderful for any guest to turn around from. It would be a well-prepared family meal. And by dinner time, she considered any living person in her dining room family. The bloody benders were two things, bloody and psychotic. But they were far from stupid. By the time someone would sit down and eat a meal with their family, John Jr. and John Sr. would be out preparing their hammers to cave in a skull. The victim would be surrounded on all sides by psychopaths. They would be distracted by a meal, and they had a low vantage point. John Jr. and John Sr. would stand behind the cloths, the ones designated for the rooms of the inn. The thin fabric would give a good outline of the victim. All they now had to do was line up and swing and connect it with the back of the victim's head. Kate and Elvira would next proceed to slit their throats. <laughs> From what I could tell, this might not have always been the case. There were bullet impacts found on the property, meaning someone might have survived the hammering and attempted to fight off the bloody benders. Kate and Elvira 
could have slit their throats to make sure it wouldn't happen again. Next, the basement hatch would be open. The bloody benders would take the bloody body and throw it into the basement. The basement, with a rancid smell and horrid stains, resembled a slaughterhouse. The bodies would be treated like calves, as they would be butchered, cut, and mutilated. They turned people into ground beef and meat chunks and left them there to rot in a dark basement without light, without compassion, and without justice. The body would sit there for quite some time. After burying the victim on their property, the benders would make preparations for the next one. The devil, of course, never sleeps. Despite having a ground-solid plan of corpse disposal, the benders did not always follow it. The public became aware of killings in the area, and a murdered victim would wash up in a nearby Drum Creek. Three bodies washed up on those shores with their necks slit and their skulls bashed. The water of Drum Creek would not wash away the sins committed by those bloody benders, nor did it hide their crimes. Word of the murders began spreading faster than the benders could slit throats. The small town of Independence, Kansas, soon became a cautionary tale for anyone heading west. Despite the infamy that was headed in their direction, the benders didn't stop the deadly addiction. George Newton Longcore had lived in Independence, Kansas. Independence was a city that gave George his wife, his home, and his daughter. But any gift given in life will eventually be taken away by time. The time George had with his wife would be brief. Only a year and a half into raising Mary and Miss Longcore would pass away. George knew he could not raise his daughter in an empty home. So he packed up his things, hitched a horse, and headed to Iowa in search of a home. If you're listening this far into the episode, you probably know they made it to the benders before they could make it home. Their hope for a new home was not spared by the cruel hammers of the benders. Neither could the innocence of a sweet baby girl ward off the cold steel kitchen of their kitchen knives and horses to George Longcore. Travelers came across the town claiming they had seen an abandoned wagon and hitched horses near Fort Scott. Dr. William hurried east to investigate. Once at Fort Scott, Williams was able to confirm that the horses and the wagon belonged to George Longcore. Believing that George and his daughter, Marianne, were still alive, Dr. William quickly made his way back to town. Despite riding back as fast as he could, not quickly approached, Dr. William needed to hold up and rest for the night. Had Dr. William stopped earlier, perhaps he would have had more options. But being that he was that far out, the only available place of refuge would be his last, the Bloody Bender Inn was always open to travelers, especially those traveling alone. Dr. Williams was an unfortunate victim of their hospitality. Prior to Dr. William Henry York's murder, the Benders had only ever killed poor travelers moving west for better opportunities. The most they were able to steal from a single victim was a couple hundred dollars, 
Dr. William Henry York was different. He came from a very wealthy and influential family. His brother, Alexander M. York, was a senator, and Colonel Ed York was a colonel. Days after Dr. William York's death, Colonel Ed York was leading a search group of over 70 armed men. The Bloody Bender Inn was their prime target of suspicion. When confronted, the Bender family claimed Dr. York had stopped in the inn, but headed in the direction of Drum Creek. This answer was unsatisfactory for Colonel Ed York, so he began narrowing the search by asking locals about the Benders. This would prove far more fruitful than initially assumed. Locals who had gone to the Bloody Bender Inn recalled a sense of unease. One woman recalled the family threatening to kill her. Colonel Ed York would return with, ac with these accusations. Elevira would flip her top before kicking the colonel out of the inn. But by that time, it was too late. Colonel Ed York had spread his investigation to neighboring communities, and more people came forward, accusing Osage County of being responsible for the local disappearances in their communities. With the added pressure, the community agreed to obtain search warrants for all properties in Osage County. The Bender family was present for the decision and didn't dissent as not to gather more suspicion onto them. While the warrant was being federally processed, one of the Bender's neighbors would notice the horses around the Bender estate looked underfed. The local officers would search to find the property abandoned and some livestock starved to death. <clears throat> when word got out about the Benders fleeing the property, more than a hundred locals show up to help the investigators search the property. They would first discover the basement, its entrance nailed shut, but the powerful odor of blood and flesh seeped through the reinforced metal doors. When the trap door finally broke, the smell hit the noses like a hammer swung by those bloody benders themselves. It wasn't a basement, it was a trap door to hell. From the towels, and the cloths to nearly every inch of the walls and floor painted thick gilt and blood red. Not a single body was found in that wretched basement. But over the next two days, every inch of the property was being searched until they found evidence of any remains. The time to search for the missing was passed when the public laid eyes on that basement. The search party was now hoping to recover the bodies of the dead over the next two days. Eight bodies would be discovered partly intact, buried under a vegetable garden. First, Dr. York, then Hank McKenzie, Benjamin Brown, William McRoddy, James Frederick, and an unknown John. But lastly, George Longcord and Marianne would be discovered in a shared grave. Additional body parts would be discovered close by. All the corpses showed signs of genital mutilation. With the exception of Mary Ann, she was only intact because she was buried alive. A $2,000 bounty would be put on the head of the Bender family. Wanted posters all across America would show their faces in crime. The family of killers would now be running for their lives with the long arm of the law. 
The state police and federal lawmen would spend the next decade paying little attention to the bloody benders. Instead, aiding a bloody campaign of retaliatory violence against native communities. But as civilization kept moving further west, the benders found themselves constantly moving to stay away from it all. The benders would find themselves in the company of outlaws and thieves. Alavira and Kate had to dress as men to ward off attacks, and not a single member of the bender family would be seen without a rifle. There was hardly a day where they didn't live in fear of death or capture. Most of the outlaws around them would kill for free. $2,000 in the 1870s is more than $45,000 today. The benders would also earn the attention of the Pinkertons, who would be hot on their trail. The benders would spend the rest of their lives on the run, usually in the vast wilderness of the West, living a life isolated from others. But there is no better place for a family of animals than the wild. Over the next two decades, 12 people would be arrested for helping the benders sell stolen goods. One man, Mitch Cherry, for forging letters to the family of victims. An elderly man was arrested in connection to a hammer murder. But a botched jailhouse escape would leave him amputated, and he later died of blood loss before he could stand trial. Two women would be accused of being Elvira and Kate Bender, but eyewitness testimony proved to be inconclusive. The public reaction surrounding the Bloody Benders case varied greatly, depending upon whom you asked, with some seeing them as monsters deserving of death, while others sympathizing with them, believing they're innocent until proven otherwise. Without the Benders standing trial, this case remains unsolved today, leaving us only rumors and speculations about the family's dark past behind its doors. The legacy of the Bloody Benders is one that has haunted America's collective memory for centuries, even though they have been dead and gone since 1874. The story lives in books, movies, television shows, and other forms of popular media. This infamous family's tale is a reminder of how quickly things can go wrong when traveling through rural areas during this period in history, as well as a cautionary tale about trusting strangers who may not be what they seem, especially those living in isolated inns located deep within the countryside. Thank you for listening.